This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Vanity Fair. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. I am delighted and proud to introduce him as Academy Award winner. And the Oscar goes to. And the Oscar goes to. The winner, it's a tie. And any little girl who's, who's practicing their speech on the telly, you never know. Mom, I just want an Oscar. I am Katie Rich. I'm here with David Canfield. Hi, Katie. David, we have two interviews to share today. You did both of them. I'm sure this has <laughs> happened before on our podcast, but it's been a while. Um, and you caught up with two, I think, of some of the most fascinating contenders who we'll be seeing at some of the upcoming televised award shows. Let's start first with your conversation with Alma Poisty, who is the star of the Finnish film Fallen Leaves. And I think one of the most delightful surprises, if not the most delightful surprises, of the Golden Globes nominations. She's in the um, Best Actress in a Musical or comedy category. I still haven't seen Fallen Leaves, but I think I'm one of many people who uh, put it right at the top of my list when that nomination happened. And it is so good. Uh, so definitely watch it. I really did not know anything about this movie before I saw it. I'm, I'm fairly familiar with the director and I'd heard of Alma Poisty before, but this movie is such a beautiful, subtle character study and she is wonderful. So I would count it as the most exciting surprising mm. Golden Globe nomination of the year. Do you know what's the huge selling point I keep hearing from people is that it's, what, 80 minutes long, which is something to truly treasure this year? Yeah, I think 81. So <laughs> okay, add okay. it on. But yes, it, it is not a, uh, you know, demanding three-hour Finnish language film. Uh, it is it is breezy. It is funny. Uh, there's, I think, a, a good element of tragic comedy to this movie. Uh, and it's it's very sweet and it's very honest. It's it's really about people uh, who meet, who have a lot of baggage, uh, and who really connect. And you observe that in a pretty masterful way, I would say, um, quietly masterful. But it's you you feel like you're in really sure hands. Uh, and Poisty plays a woman living in Helsinki. Uh, she works um, in the supermarket. She stocks shelves. And she meets this man, and, and we go from there. Yeah. Uh, I love it when we get to feature, you know, something of a discovery. Not that she hasn't been working for a long time, but maybe a lot of our listeners don't know about this movie or Alma Poisty. So let's meet her in your conversation with the star of Fallen Leaves, Alma Poisty. Well, Alma, thank you so much for being here. I am a huge fan of this film, Fallen Leaves, and I think everyone... <laughs> 
that I know we've seen it was absolutely over the moon uh, that you were nominated for a Golden Globe for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, David, and very nice to talk to you. It's very exciting and surreal times. <laughs> I can imagine. I would imagine you were not expecting it. It doesn't happen too often for Finnish films. <laughs> no. Uh, no, really. It, it really was the most fantastic surprise. Uh, I didn't even understand that that was happening because I just heard someone said that, oh, it, the film is on the list. The film is on the list for, for the Golden Globes. I was like, yes, fantastic. But I didn't realize that I was on a list too. And that was <laughs> that was really crazy. And then, then we realized later on, because whole of Finland went, went sort of nuts, that this hasn't happened since the 50s that a Finnish actress has been or actor has been nominated and uh, it's the first time for a Finnish film actually so so that's historical <laughs> it's pretty amazing very deserved and i have to say it's it's pretty exciting to see your name next to like margot robbie jennifer lawrence natalie portman uh in the best way you kind of stand out there <laughs> Oh my God, I am so honored. <laughs> but I love this genre also that you can have Barbie and Fallen Leaves in the same category. I, that says a lot about where humor can can go, actually. Yeah, it really does. And I, I'd love to ask you a little bit about that. And, and the fact that I think a lot of people don't necessarily know when they say see the poster for this movie or aren't as familiar with uh, your director's work, that this is a comedy it's a very particular kind of comedy. Um, but yeah, how how have you found talking about the movie in that regard and, and being a part of a movie that is actually very droll, very dry, but very funny? Yeah, well, Aki Kaurismäki, the director, said that we were going to make a romantic comedy. And, mm-hmm. uh, well, <laughs> it's it's this sort of deadpan humor. He also said that, so there's going to be uh, one kiss on the cheek, one handshake, and one kiss on the forehead. So it will be full of passion. <laughs> <laughs> and, true, true to Kaurismäki form, yes. True to Kaurismäki. And he has this unique humor that no one can copy. I mean... Mm-hmm. It's really, and it's it's like a ground force of life. The humor in his his films is really what is getting the, the characters through their day because they are living quite quite rough lives. Yes. Uh, but then they have this warmth and heart and and humanity around them and this humor. Yes, yeah. You and your co-star are both you are both very funny in this movie. I'm curious though, how much in a film like this with a director like that you're you're playing the comedy? Like, is it something that kind of comes through naturally? Is it something where you're trying things out? Like, how does that look, given how dry it is? Well, Aki has a very particular method. He doesn't want us to rehearse, for one. Mm -hmm. And then he does want to do the movie in one take, or all the scenes in one take. So you sort of need to get it right from the start. Uh, Mm -hmm. Almost the whole thing is done in one take, actually. And uh, so it's a very high level of concentration and there's really no room for improvisation. There is definitely room for life, but it's a very minimalistic life. Mm -hmm. And uh, in terms of the humor, you just have to trust it, that it's it's there and it's in the lines and it's, it's between the lines and not sort of act it out because then you probably will destroy the thing that would be funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So not making a point of it, just sort of riding with it. And trusting the audience, he does that a lot. I mean, 
The mm. movie is, is quite silent. The Finns are known to be as a shy bunch of people and, and we do enjoy our silences. And there are a lot of things happening in those silences where where there's a lot of dialogue without words. Yeah. I mean, did the tone surprise you at all, given that you're really only doing one take? You know, because you're not rehearsing, you probably don't know exactly how it's going to go. And then you only have one chance. Yeah. Well, usually when you, you act or you learn to act, you uh, embrace the mistakes. But here you have to somehow dare to succeed. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of the opposite. Well, yeah, it was terrifying at first, but then then you really start to love it because you get these very, very precious and honest moments when something happens for the first and only time and you save all of that for the camera so you don't uh, wear it down through uh, rehearsing or or multiple takes. It becomes extremely precious. Hmm. You mentioned... Um... Uh, Karzmaki's approach to romance, one kiss, etc. Um, but the movie is quite romantic in, in his way and between you. So how did you find developing that connection, given what you're saying, that that sense of preciousness that comes through? Well, it's a film about love in many forms, I guess. There's friendship and there is compassion and partnership towards a dog. For example, my, my character, she finds a stray dog and she takes takes her in and it's it's at the point when when she's totally heartbroken and i think that the dog and anza they really save each other at that point so it's it's really more than just uh, just a cute dog it's it's a profound partnership that they have and then i had such a wonderful collaboration with my co-star yussi watanen who plays holappa and it's it's this mm-hmm. love story where really destiny kicks in to these middle-aged people's lives but both of them have kind of passed their due dates on the dating market for sure and they kind of given up on love and working with Yussi it was we really didn't have to work on the chemistry as you say because it was already there and and we could just somehow enjoy uh, acting and these scenes all of these awkward moments where everything <laughs> is at stake for these poor poor people and everything is so fragile and they kind of fall in love for perhaps the first and the only time in their lives. Mm-hmm. And it's quite fragile at that point and extremely, well, just wonderful to act uh, and to be in the stretch, those awkward, awkward moments. Because these people, they're not used to dating, so they, they kind of know what's expected to have a dinner together, for example, but so they they kind of behave, but <laughs> <laughs> but everything is quite clumsy and yeah. Yes, just, it is just, uh, fragile. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. Uh, in the in the best way. Did did you find that the the awkwardness, the clumsiness, was kind of enhanced by the fact that you were going into takes pretty cold? Like, you know, you're you're figuring it out with him on the fly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But it's wonderful when you have so great people you can really trust. Uh, I mean, for Yusti, for example, or Aki. He's been doing this for 40 years. So he really knows what he's doing when he throws us in there. And he, I mean, he appreciates actors in the way that we we bring our own handwriting to the scene and our own Mm -hmm. life. So that was very welcomed, even though everything else was extremely exact and, and clearly envisioned. So the rhythm was very clear. And, and before the take, we went through a very, 
what would you could say a minimalistic rehearsal and you just okay so then you look there then you walk there and in this mm-hmm. this pace but that was kind of it and then you go <laughs> <laughs> and then you go um the other element of the movie that I, I wanted to ask you about and there are a number of of really poignant scenes in this regard is is the fact that it's not a very dialogue heavy movie and I always, I'm always curious about how actors kind of step into a scene where they really have to hold it without saying anything. Coming into the movie, is that something you were comfortable with? And how did you find it either way in this particular movie? Well, I guess it takes some courage to just be as pure and honest as you can and let the camera mm-hmm. in on that and just just being. Uh, and the way Aki Kaurismäki trusts the audience, he's giving the audience a lot of silence and faces to project their own needs for the story somehow, uh, not filling it with too much dialogue and uh, explanations. It's he, he trusts the intelligence of, of the audience. But I, I actually liked that when I found it, it was sort of meditative because we were building the frame for hours together with the team because everyone needs to get it right on that first take. It's mm-hmm. the lights, it's the camera, it's the props, everything. And I just sat there on the set and sort of calibrated myself into the scene. And I kind of loved that because then then you really work as an ensemble, not just the, the cast, but also the whole the whole team. And it's quite a beautiful way of of working and it's a sneaky way of rehearsing <laughs> yes exactly there you go there you go <laughs> you made it work <laughs> I know, i've seen you talk about being a finnish actor and growing up in finland kind of being under the the shadow of karsmaki especially as an actor uh for pretty much your whole life so what is it like to kind of have that in your mind and then step onto a set of his like how did you square those things? I imagine it was pretty exciting. It was. And it's a, such a surreal honor to even be asked to be part of his cinematic universe. Uh, that was totally unexpected as well. So I, I've had quite a surreal year <laughs> yeah. with all of these things happening. But yeah, it's right. We've been kind of under his influence for, for a long time. So as an actor, you kind of know what's expected in terms of his aesthetics and, and the acting. But... So what I did when when rehearsal was uh, forbidden, so I, I rewatched all his movies and uh, sort of tried to tune in to to that universe and the tone, not to copy what the actors had done before. But then I thought that maybe Anza could be somehow a distant cousin to some other character in another movie, uh, to sort of be aware that you're part of a link that through all these films, it's twenty films right by now, so. So you have to have a connection to the rest of of the work somehow. So that that was mm. a way of preparing, I guess. Yeah, and not a, a sneaky way. <laughs> yes. Do you have a favorite of his? Oh, there are so many. <laughs> uh, I do love uh, the Bohemian Life. I think yes, it's me too. Such a crazy, wonderful adventure and. Well, as in all of his movies, there are these unexpected twists and turns and this humor that just like throws you off and you <laughs> or yeah. throws you in. Um, I've heard some stories about how they were making that movie and it came to as a surprise to the actors that it was going to be done in French. And, and they said, but we don't know French. <laughs> and he was like, yes, but your actor is not a problem. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, 
all of these uh, funny adventures surrounding uh, the filmings. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, you, you really have to be prepared for anything then with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the joy of it, right? Yeah. And you, I saw you made this movie in like three weeks? Yeah, a little more than 20 days. Wow. That's uh, how you do it when you <laughs> when you get one take, I guess. And uh, Aki says he cuts before he shoots, so he doesn't get any extra material. And uh, you can see he's been producing films for quite a while, so he's he's very economical about it. <laughs> Did you ever have a moment where, knowing how tight of a time frame you were working in, you were you felt nervous just about getting it done in time, getting your performance calibrated right in time? Well, I felt I didn't have to worry. That, that was Aki's mm. worries, really. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I trusted him completely. Uh, the way he wanted to do it, then we do it that way because he he knows what he's... Well, the way it works. Yes. And it did. It really did. It really did. The sign of uh, of a great movie, I guess, is when you make it for three weeks and then you spend six months talking about it, which you guys have been doing. Yeah. I've been talking more about this film than I've been actually shooting it. <laughs> but it's wonderful. It's like a very, it's a privilege to get to travel with it and talking to people and meeting all audiences from from different parts of the world and seeing how it really corresponds with people. And they, they really seem to take it to heart and, and thank us for giving giving them a warmer and safer place for 81 minutes and that it's it's yeah. giving people hope. And it feels... Uh, well, it's really a privilege to to travel with a film like this in times like these when people really need to feel a little warmth and, and hope for a while. Yeah, I was thinking about it uh, in the context of, of your last film that I'd seen, which premiered in 2020. Tuve, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Tuve, yes. Tuve, um, which I, I really liked. And that premiered in the height of COVID. Um, and that was kind of a, a breakout role for you, right? Yeah, it was my first uh, main part in a feature, so yeah. So how did you experience that, especially when it premiered? and Because and it was Finland's uh, Oscar entry. Um, and how, does that how did that compare to sort of gearing up for what Fallen Leaves would be when you're going to Cannes and it's a much bigger show? <laughs> <laughs> well, Tuove was wonderful and it also really did really well and people found it and it traveled yes. to lots of countries. But we didn't. We sat at home on Zoom <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> doing interviews. And so these are the things that COVID taught us also to be very grateful for mm -hmm. when you actually can travel, when you can get together, you can go to the movies or to the theater and experience things together. And also now for me to be able to travel with, with the movie and not only the movie traveling, it's, yeah, it's something I'm extremely grateful for. It's also meeting the audiences because when you work with the camera, you don't really meet the audience. Uh -huh. But when you're in the theater, then you you're in the, you share the time and the space together. And uh, so, as an actress, I kind of miss that connection a lot when I'm filming. So then, this is a small or quite big compensation for that to actually get to meet audiences and talk to people and and see how it the film lands in in people. Mm. That's another nice thing about this movie is it's kind of, it's it's a, it's an element of the movie, the beauty of experiencing 
films in a theater together and, and that, what the connection that that fosters. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And I realized that Aki Karismaki has, he's created these concrete spaces for people. He's been building bars and restaurants in Helsinki and Karkila and movie theaters throughout his life, creating uh, festivals, movie festivals. And uh, really, it's, it's, he's done so much also more than the art itself. So it's really in his sort of system to get yeah. people together. I'd love to ask you a little bit about your experience taking this movie around since Cannes, you know, mainly because a lot of the films that premiered there are are now kind of big here in the U.S. Uh, from around the world, including your film. Have you kind of experienced the journey along with some of these movies like, you know, Anatomy of a Fall or, the, you know, Pot of Fou? Like, how have you observed that being right there with all these films for so many months now? Well, that's one wonderful part of this job is that you meet all these wonderful filmmakers and people at the festivals. For example, Anatomy of a Fall, I think it's 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 an absolutely astonishing movie. And Sandra Huller is is an oh my god, she's she's <laughs> a, such a skilled and wonderful actress. So yeah, and then when you get to meet these people, it's well, it's an honor, and it's so nice to get these concrete connections. And uh, talking about, well, sharing your passion for for this work. Are there any particular like connections or meanings that have stood out to you just in going around all these places? Well, I, I got to meet uh, Sandra Huller in Berlin oh. <laughs> for the European Film Awards, and that oh, yeah, was very course. very precious moment just to say hello and uh, and thank you. And then I said hello to Greta Gerwin. Uh, a couple of months ago, and I was also quite fantastic. Another wonderful movie is La Chimera by Alicia Rovaler. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, no, Rovacher, sorry, I'm, I'm pronouncing no, it. You're... Uh, <laughs> and that's a wonderful movie and such a wonderful director. So there are all of these fantastic people around. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess what I'm wondering is how it changes maybe your perception of being an actor, because it's, it's such an added element, right? And this is the first time you've done something like this. So how do you feel? I mean, you're not out of it yet. Obviously, we're talking today. But, you know, the thought of coming out of it, thinking forward, um, does it make you feel excited? Like, what's the kind of feeling for you? Well, I guess it's opening some doors. Uh, yeah. For sure. I'm, I'm getting wonderful offers for work. And uh, it's exciting, these exciting inter- more international adventures that... Mm-hmm. that are opening so yeah I'm, I'm very excited about that and then you realize also when you you kind of meet your stars or your heroes that oh yeah they're also just humans <laughs> yes they're just like <laughs> and you that's and me. <laughs> quite a wonderful feeling also to see it yeah, yeah. they're they're yeah. grounded and real real people <laughs> yeah exactly how um is there a particular takeaway of this movie that uh, has resonated with you. I think especially in the way it ends, there's this feeling of hope that um, feels very earned, uh, like you were saying earlier. Um, but that's that's very true to this director, I think, at the same time. Mm, yeah. For me, well, one thing that stands out is maybe how he's, he's proposing caring a compassion in a very concrete way as a counterforce for cynicism and exploitation and, and coldness. 
And then he shows that in so many concrete ways in this movie. And somehow, as long as you're, you have a solidarity and a loyalty towards each other, then, then you have some power in your life, even, even if you're otherwise having a rough time. And uh, that's, that's quite beautiful. And it can be, it can be friendship, it can be love, it can be towards a dog, it can be, <laughs> it comes in many forms. But this way of caring is, is really what I'm taking with me. As a as a dog owner, uh, I definitely appreciated all of your scenes with with your dog in this film. Yeah, she's wonderful. Her name is she's also so Alma. I heard that. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, and she, it's it's a wonderful debut. She's she's really a prof- very professional actor, and uh, she really blew us away with her presence and her rhythm and uh, timing. And uh, yeah, she won an award right in Cannes. She won. She did. <laughs> Yes, the Palm Dog, the jury prize. Yes, the Palm Dog. The Palm Dog. And it was competitive this year because Anatomy of a Fall also has a very good dog. So she should feel very very proud, I think. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, competition was fierce. Yeah, and that dog in Anatomy of a Fall is really fantastic. Yes. So uh, good competition, (laughs) good win. Um, Is there a scene, and there are a few I could think of, but I'm curious for you, that you just feel particularly proud of, knowing that you had one take that, um, you know, that you just felt like you got right. Oh, I, I try not to be too proud. <laughs> that that's... Well, or what, or one that maybe went went uh, in a in a in a direction you didn't expect that that you were pleased with. Well, one one wonderful scene was when Anza and uh, Holapa meet for the first time, and uh, with yes. their eyes eyes lock during a serenade by Schubert sang at a karaoke bar. And I did not know you could drag out a gaze like that, like like the way Kaurys Mackie yes. does that. And it was really enjoyable to do and, and somehow world-altering for these, these two characters when destiny just somehow crashes into their lives and, and gives them this huge opportunity for love <laughs> mm-hmm. and something shivers in them both and they can't uh, it, it was very wonderfully written as well it says that it said that Holapa gets so upset by this look that he has to go away for a smoke <laughs> 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 and it really stirs them that that visual that gaze is so memorable in the movie I imagine it felt like really great when when you filmed it but what did it feel like to see that part in the movie particularly versus when you filmed it? No, it's kind of the same. I'm, I'm like, yeah. wow, it just goes on and on and it's everything. Yeah. So it, it just... felt that way when you were filming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everything was at stake. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it, it's like a magnet. So you just have to look, even though you're so shy that you rather look away and then you just have to look again. And <laughs> no, it's it's a very human moment. Yeah. I'm starting to understand the power of this one take thing, because it's true that all these human moments that you're describing, it's, you know, you walk in and even if just looking at someone, it's it's very uh, it's very raw. Yeah, it is very raw. And as soon as you have to repeat it, there comes this sheer elemental fake a little little because you have to pretend that it didn't happen before and then you have to act it more that was one thing he said uh don't act that was well 
the only advice he gave us. <laughs> and I think um, my highest compliment would be uh, very little acting here. It feels very, very real. Well, thank you so much. Whatever uh, the non-acting means. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> what, what, however Karzmaki and you guys did it, uh, you did it well. <laughs> thank you. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. And now, David, we're going to hear a conversation with the star of a film that really requires no introduction. (laughs) Uh, America Ferreira is uh, one of the stars of Barbie. And I think the heart of the film in a lot of ways that I think has been coming out, you know, her role in Barbie's, you know, second win awards campaign has been really visible. I think they've been really making an effort to point out that it's her monologue that you really walk out of the theater buzzing about. So um, I'm imagining you talked about that and probably a lot of other stuff. We did. Uh, America spoke with Rebecca Ford, I believe, before the actor's strike about that monologue. So uh, quite a relationship Vanity Fair has had to that that monologue. Um, But yeah, I I was really interested in her perspective on the way that that monologue has been talked about, lived on, become such a symbol of the movie, has been picked apart. (laughs) You know, it's gotten, I think, played a kind of a meta role almost in terms of what it's about versus the way that it's been received. Mm. Um, And she is really game, I think, to talk about it and has thought about it because she put so much into uh, delivering it as best she could. Yeah, I just, you know, she's someone who's had such a long career, like she's been celebrated in, you know, a lot of different smaller ways. And to see her having this platform in a movie that I don't think anybody who made it could have imagined just how huge it was going to be. Um, You know, the cast from The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants was out with her at at an event in December. And you're like, yes, that is we all want to like rally around and celebrate her at this moment. Yeah, it had been a while since she did any movie at all. And this year she was in both Barbie and Dumb Money, which, you know, obviously didn't make as much of a mark, but it was still a, a nice, meaty role for her to She's sink great her teeth in into. She's great. And it's funny how in the over the course of the season, you you get a lot of narratives kind of thrown in your face, people whose time has come, people finally getting their moment. And she's someone who has been working really steadily in Hollywood for a long time, from Ugly Betty to Superstore um, to, of course, uh, Sister of the Traveling Pants. And yet this does feel like kind of a turning point or something that maybe feels a little bit overdue in terms of the industry taking a step back and really paying attention to her and uh, what she has to offer. Yeah. Uh, Well, let's hear more of what she has to offer. Uh, Let's hear your conversation with Barbie star America Ferreira. 
Uh, well, America, thank you so much for being here uh, to talk about Barbie, a movie that uh, no one is talking about. You have not talked about at all <laughs> <laughs> for the last six months. That's right. Yes. A, um, thank you so much for giving our little movies some airtime. The little engine that could. That's um, right. That said, uh, it is a movie that we haven't had a success like this in this industry ever. Uh, so it is it is worth celebrating that, I think. Yeah. Um, I wanted to start just by asking you how you've experienced this campaign so far. It's This is the first year in which you had movies out in a while. You also are in Dumb Money, of course. And um, a campaign like this can be a lot. So how have you experienced it? Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. I had never, I have never been a part of a movie or a project so eagerly anticipated in a way the campaign began, I think, when the world found out Greta Gerwig was making a Barbie movie. Very true. <laughs> and I think that perked a lot of people's attention, right? It was like, whoa, why? And like, what is she going to do with it? And and, you know, I was in the same boat as everybody else as like, that sounds kind of weird and interesting. Um, and then, you know, just the addition of all the incredible talent, Margot and then Ryan and then, you know, all the amazing cast and, and then the kind of, you know, top of class um, department heads in every realm. It just, I feel like before we even stepped on set, there was a sort of anticipation from the outside world <laughs> projected onto the movie. And um, and that just built and built and built and built, you know, and, and then we were traveling the globe uh, before the release, but nobody really knew what the movie was. You know, it was like mm -hmm. this fever pitch excitement. I remember getting to Mexico City and 20,000 people had been waiting in the middle of a mall in Mexico City wow. just to look at you know, Ryan Gosling and <laughs> uh, and Margot Robbie. Um, and I was there too, but I have a feeling they weren't really there for me. Um, <laughs> but it was like, you know, I'd only experienced that kind of energy on, on presidential campaigns, you know, where it was like yeah. people standing around for hours just waiting to like be a part of this cultural moment. And it was huge. And, you know, it was like in the global campaign it is we started you know we went to korea and and um australia and mexico and london and we started getting a sense of like wow people are really turning out for this and dressed to the nines and it really yeah. felt like a cultural event and and that was really fun because like you said it's you know it's been a really long time since movies have been this globally shared moment, right? I, I, you know, like we haven't had our Titanic moment, you know, for our yeah. generation where people, or, you know, Harry Potter was sort of that. People got dressed up and, and came out, but um, they are few and far between. So so I think we you know, felt that energy building and then the movie, and then the strike hit, right? And then the movie came out. and And so for a while, it was like, you know, sitting on your hands all of a sudden, not being able to not not being able to talk about the movie, even though it was out in the world, and finally people knew what the movie was. Because up until then, you know, they didn't give very much away um, in terms of the story and and the deeper themes and the comedy and the meaning of it. And so, 
you know, we just kind of had to sit back and, and watch it impact, you know, make impact with people. And, and it was cool to, to read all the articles and think pieces and to see, you know, social media blow up with what, what was resonating with people. So it's been a wild, wild, wild ride. And, and I'll just say lastly, because we had the strike, we didn't really get to talk about it to really talk about what the movie is. Um, so, you know, I, for one, am, am enjoying getting a second chance at, at being a part of, you know, the conversation about, about w- what the movie means to people. So were you, I suppose, observing it from afar during the strike? Because, of course, for listeners who don't remember, truly the movie came out and you were on strike. It was at that exact moment, pretty much. And you have this beautiful monologue that you deliver so brilliantly in the movie that was, I would say, the talking point in many ways of the movie. Like, were you reading what people were saying, how it was resonating? I think you could say to a certain extent, you know, debates over it. Like, how did you process all that? Yeah, I definitely was. I don't generally, like, look for reactions and reviews and that sort of thing. But because it was the only way we could interact with it, I, I was a bit obsessive about wanting to like, see how people were responding to it. I mean, and I could see that from like, people's TikTok videos Mm -hmm. to, you know, the, the fun content that people were making, just going to see the movie theaters. And I was too chicken to go watch it in a theater. Like Hmm. I, I, it's very, you know, I think for most people, it's really hard to sit and watch yourself and I get really scared to sit in a room full of strangers. I'm like, what if they hate it? I wouldn't be able to stand that. (laughs) Um, But other people like Greta went and like sat in the back of theaters and watched audiences reactions. And I'm sure it was, you know, mostly very good, but I was just too scared to do it. So all of that to say like, I don't usually do this, but I was kind of voracious about reading every, yeah. you know, every think piece about um, about Ken's journey and Gloria's speech <laughs> and, you know, Barbie and Gloria being shipped on the Internet. And are they in love? <laughs> that and was I, mean, the thing. I was I was eating it up. I really I really loved um, seeing how it made an impact and uh, and not just in the U.S., you know, globally, seeing how it like resonated in China with women on social media in China sort of claiming hot pink back, even though they weren't allowed to wear that because of, you know, very racist, like a skin tone color uh, um, mm-hmm. standards. You know, there were women in China wearing hot pink and reclaiming hot pink as like something that that they were taking back, even though they were told they weren't allowed to wear it. So it was just really cool to see it resonate in different ways all around the world. Yeah, it's been pretty amazing to watch, I think, for everybody. Uh, because like you said, it does not happen ever, really. Yeah. Um, and it's it's for a really great movie, which is always nice. Uh, yeah. It doesn't always happen that way either. Um, going back to the monologue for a moment, um, I know you said you, I don't know if you, I assume you've watched the movie at least once. I've seen it five times. Okay, yeah, 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 okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so how did it feel to watch that scene, particularly five times? I mean, I know you've talked about the the prep that went into it, the amount of takes and, and yeah. tries and stuff like that. I'm curious how it landed for you. Really hard to watch it. I mean, the yeah. first I'd say the first three times I watched it, I just held my breath and sort of like, you know, like 
squinted and tried to get through listening to my own voice. Um, it was really, really hard at first. I think like, you know, I don't know, for me, in the first pass of watching anything I'm a part of, it's like, huh, why did they choose that take? And why not that take? And oh, they yeah. went that way. Or why did I do that thing with my face? Or, you know, it's like a lot of internal critic um, speaking. And it kind of took three watches to really just sit back and enjoy it, you know? Um, and And then I think like the first time I really enjoyed watching the movie and also felt like I could um, enjoy my performance was including the monologue was at the LA premiere. And it was the first time that we watched it with, mm. it was like an audience of thousands, I think at the, um, the Shrine Theater in LA. Mm -hmm. And my daughter who's three and a half was sitting on my lap the whole time. And I mm. loved it. And uh, I loved just having her with me watching the movie. It was her first time in a movie theater. And, wow. um, and that was the first time, because there were so many people reacting and responding to the movie, I could kind of be outside of my own thoughts and soaking in how they were taking it. And when it got to the monologue, maybe it was just because my daughter was like with me and I was sort of trying to see it through her eyes. Like, what is she seeing right now, you know? Um, mm. uh, not that she could understand a word of what I was saying. Um, yeah. But I don't know, I was able to take it in a little bit more. And of course it was the premiere, so it's a very friendly audience and they, there was a beautiful response of, you know, applause and, you know, audible cheering and that always feels really good. So, um, which is why I restrict watching movies I'm in to premieres <laughs> because I'm too scared <laughs> to watch it with unfriendly, unfriendly audiences. I'm also interested in, in that particular experience and, you know, being able to spend that much time on a scene because um, I'm a big fan of your television work and I would imagine it's a very different kind of shooting schedule and therefore kind of acting process that you get to go into it. So it may sound like a strange question, but how do you prepare for a movie like Barbie compared to a show like Superstore where you are having to go a lot quicker? No, it's a, it's a great question. Um, um, there was a lot of time on Barbie because... I was out in London the whole time, but there was a lot of Barbie world stuff that I wasn't a part of. Like the first 30 minutes of the movie, there's no Gloria or Sasha. Um, so I would like work two days and then be down six or seven days, you know? And so like mm -hmm. the first, I'd say two thirds of the shoot, I was there and I was in and I was out and I was, I'd kind of be there even when I didn't need to be there just to stay in the in the zone, I went to Barbie dance rehearsals. I learned the Barbie dance hmm, hmm. Um, just because I like to learn choreography. That's, uh, yeah. Anyway, too much information. Um, <laughs> Great uh, information. But I, you know, I did feel a sort of um, like a building up of like energy, you know, and mm -hmm. really wanting to get to express what Gloria what Gloria's journey was. And, and then on the back third of the shoot, it was like very Gloria and Sasha heavy. And, and we went to the real world in LA and we shot all that stuff. And then we came back to London and truly like the monologue was one of the last things I shot. And, um, and like I said, there was a lot of kind mm -hmm. of energy building up to that moment for me. And um, yeah, it's actually a really great question you ask because, you know, sets do move 
quickly. And I love being on television sets. I actually love the pace of TV. But there's something about the filming of this scene in particular that felt so much more like a theater process. It felt mm-hmm. like a rehearsal process. It felt like really discovering and finding it in the moment, which if I'm being honest is is my favorite part of what I do. As an actress or a director, like I love rehearsal. And mm-hmm. we really shot this as a two-day rehearsal. You know, um, Greta, you know, gave me so much permission to find it and to go to so many places. And 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 so it felt really like a gift as an actor. And even though it was taxing, you know, and, and it took a lot of energy, it was also very invigorating. And to be in mm-hmm. a creative flow where I was finding one thing in one take and then dropping that and going to a totally different place, like it's kind of it felt like being in that sweet pocket of like, oh, I get to just be in this space for a long period of time and play. And 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 it's not always so fluid, you know, as mm-hmm. on set. You kind of get a couple takes in and it's like, well, I don't know. Are you, are you happy? Yeah, I'm happy. Are you happy? Yeah. yeah. You know, and with this, it was like we had exhausted every potential way of doing it, I think. Um and in the end, I was like ready to put it down. And and that's not always the case in, on a filming schedule because you don't always have the luxury of time to like to really like luxuriate and and discover in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm curious, like if you, like what kind of expectation you had coming in, especially when it's, you know, a Greta Gerwig offer, Greta Gerwig movie. And um, it's a, it's a real opportunity, like being able to step into that space in this really rich role, like how did that feel coming into it? Did you feel like nervous? Did you feel ready to go? Yeah, I think that there's always a level of nerves and excitement, particularly when everyone involved is so great and talented, you know? I think Mm -hmm. that there's... um, you know, from doing scenes with Will Ferrell to Kate McKinnon to Ryan Gosling <laughs> and Margot Robbie, like all incredible actors. And it it really, I think, um, in the best case scenario, just makes me want to, you know, step up and and play at their level. And that, you know, that's exciting and invigorating. And it's also terrifying at times, you know, mm-hmm. and I think... Every artist has to find a way to turn their terror into <laughs> productive um, <laughs> energy, you know, and and that's part of the the process is like how do you turn however that material or however that group of people activates you, like how to funnel that and put that into the work. Um, and this was an incredibly activating set like again there was so much anticipation and projection onto the project from the beginning mm-hmm. like i think on so many levels like it was a lot of people's dream jobs you know and so everyone comes in with this really heightened energy and then you're living in a heightened world with heightened colors and heightened yep. you know dance numbers and it's also um it's also in a way archetypal like incredibly archetypal um and my job was to be a human and my job mm-hmm. was to resist all of the energy that was moving in that direction and ground my character in humanity. Um, I had to represent 
the human race. You're you're very welcome. I hope I did you proud. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> um, so so there was that too, that feeling of like, oh, I'd love to kind of give in and surrender to this like wave of energy, but also my job was very specific, what I was there to be and do. And and that sometimes felt like a like a push and pull, like like I could go and touch into the fun and the hyper energy of it all, but also I had I had to resist it in a way. And um and stay grounded. And and that wasn't always comfortable. And that also yeah. wasn't always like the funnest thing to do. Yeah. You're delivering that very, you know, serious monologue in front of the Barbie dream house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's it's a it's a different kind of thing from what other other actors are doing there. But I what I love about the movie and, and your performance is that you sense in Gloria this desire to be a part of the fun and this and the script I think allows her uh and you to go down that road in a, in a very believable way yeah yeah thanks for saying that I mean I people want to talk about the monologue and I love that wonderful but there is so much more to Gloria's journey yes, and I you know I think the monologue only pays off if you really believe that you know this is this, that this is true for this woman, right? Um, and I, I really loved so many of Gloria's beats. I one of the one of my my favorite days on set, which was actually two days on set, was shooting the um, the car chase. Like that was yes. so exciting and fun and new for me. And you know that kind of action element of like she's doing all these insane tricks with this car, but also trying to communicate a lot you know, of backstory mm -hmm. and exposition and create a relationship to Barbie. And um, I kind of love and thrive as an actor in scenes where there's so much going on, you know, yes. uh, where it's like, okay, I'm driving the car. I'm also connecting to Barbie. I'm also explaining this to my daughter, you know, and um, the, that was just really energetic and fun. And I really loved, it was a good one for me in finding the character and finding the mix of like, how much of her, you know, her desire to to play and get lost in this enchanted world needs to be rooted in like remembering that she is a real woman with, um, you know, with real life disappointments um, mm -hmm. because it could easily kind of float away into a realm of like not really feeling or believing that this is a real woman because she's a grown adult who like wished Barbie into the real world. And how real is that? Mm -hmm. You know? So I thought, you know, the, it's in the writing and just the little moments that we found when I like pull the car over and Sasha and I are ducking behind the wheel, hiding from the Mattel execs. And I look over and I go, you're so pretty. And she goes, <laughs> she goes, Don't look at me. Like yeah. those little moments of like, Oh, she's a mom who just wants to love her daughter and her daughter doesn't want her. Like, grounding it in in like why this woman is so desperate to re-enchant her life and and find you know kind of unabashed joy because her mean teenage daughter has deprived her of it yeah you're also a very skilled very experienced comic actress and so it was i was glad that greta gave you those beats because uh even among, among that cast i was like oh america's gonna be funny because you know you are you are the superstore ugly actress in that cast. Oh, yeah. Thanks. I mean, it was fun to find that, definitely. Um, again, because her comedy couldn't be the same as, 
you know, Ken's or, right. you know, the, the Ken's or the Barbies, they're in a, they're in a totally different tone. So it was like, where is the humor for her? I love one of my favorite lines that like still makes me laugh is, and it made me laugh on the page too, was when she goes, Sasha goes, mom, you're going to let Barbie take your tween daughter to Barbie land. And she's like, yes. And you want to know why? Because I never get to do anything. I didn't even get to go on that cruise when I, that I won at your school auction. What did she say? Because I couldn't get the time off. And because your dad's allergic to the sun was like, so funny to me. Um, like that her comedy beats, which to me feels so much like Greta's voice is so rooted in in like just what is so true and so sad <laughs> about, about yeah. this woman's life. Um, so anyway, I was I I had a lot of fun finding the moments where her disappointments could lend themselves to the humor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, speaking of Greta, I did want to ask you about something I'd, I'd seen that you said um, just kind of in the lead up to this, which was you said at some point. Uh, I stopped expecting to get that phone call, you know, from mm. a director like Greta Gerwig. Mm. And so zooming out a little bit, I'm I'm wondering, like, what it feels like, given that you felt that way and given that you were kind of maybe in that place uh, as an actor to get that call. And then I think it's safe to say to, to really deliver um, on this movie. Yeah, I realized that, like, kind of when you just hear those words or read those words, they sound kind of sad and disempowered, like I was giving up. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't that at all. I think it was, you know, I I think a lot of us grow up with dreams of being in the entertainment industry and there's like one version of what success looks like, right? And it's like being whatever, the it person of the moment and being selected by directors and mm-hmm. winning awards and um, kind of being chosen, right? Like a really big element of being an actor Anointed. is yeah. having to be chosen over and over and over again. And, and you know, the reality for me was that the kinds of roles that I wanted to do, the opportunities I wanted to sort of show different parts of myself, like they just didn't exist. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the idea that like Martin Scorsese was going to write a part that spoke to me and everything I am and also, you know, didn't stick me in the boxes that that this industry has kind of traditionally seen me in, whether that's mm-hmm. brown girl, sort of your average woman who doesn't uh, meet beauty expectations, sort of these boxes I was put in very early in my career and which the stories and the characters I played focused on and had to focus on because that was kind of how my presence in the stories could be justified because there just wasn't room and roles for someone like me. Um, I just realized, like, the kinds of roles I want to do are not the kinds of roles that historically exist for people like me in this industry. Mm -hmm. So it was actually a pretty empowering thing when I realized I'm going to have to go be a part of creating that. You know, I'm going to have to produce. I'm going to have to be in conversation with writers and directors and other folks about about how we create more of those roles. So it became about moving from a passive position of waiting for something to fall out of the sky, which Mm -hmm. is incredibly disempowering, to like being a maker of those things and which was incredibly empowering. So, so, you know, when I did get the phone call about Greta and Barbie, it wasn't like, I wasn't like sitting there like 
crying into a bag of Doritos. <laughs> I yeah. was like, I was actually in the process of adapting a novel into a into a screenplay with my screenwriter because it's the first feature film I'm going to direct. Um, mm -hmm. So I was in a really great place um, and kind of dropping that expectation that the phone was going to ring with some incredible opportunity actually liberated me in a lot of ways. And so, so it was all the more unexpected. And, you know, I think that that freed me up to sort of do it if I loved it and, and, and only if I loved it. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't looking yes. for this role or this movie or working with Greta to make me feel good enough. You know, mm -hmm. it was, is there something for me to do here? Is there, is this a role that compels me, that feels juicy enough, that that will allow me to like explore creatively in a way I haven't gotten to? And and so, you know, which, which those are all the best reasons to do something, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, so I jumped in and I said, yes. And, um, and so it kind of, in a crazy way, being in that place, it took so much of the pressure off and it allowed mm. me to just engage with it creatively and not with all the burden of expectation that you have when, when you're an actor trying to map out like a career and opportunities that are going to lead to X, Y, and Z, you know? Yeah, no, I, I love the way you put that. And I think that's also a real perspective of someone who has been you know, in this industry for a number of years and who's who's learned that. I mean, I remember watching you on Ugly Betty, seeing all of the incredible success that came from that. And I would imagine that coming off of something like that, yeah, you, you kind of face what, who the industry excludes, what kinds of opportunities are out there. And exactly what you're saying is having to maybe just take a little more ownership. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I don't feel alone in that at all. I mean, yeah. this is a, this is a, you know, industry where really anyone who's very good at something then gets asked to do that thing over and over and over again. Yep. And of course, as <laughs> artists, we want to expand, we want to grow, we want to evolve. And um, mm -hmm. and so, you know, I certainly don't feel alone in, in that truth of like, you know, you're going to have to go out and sort of be a little bit more proactive about creating um, exciting and interesting opportunities. And never mind that I like discovered how much I love directing and how that's become a surprising part of my journey. Yeah. With a, a big campaign like what Barbie is, as we've discussed, I, I often find when I talk to actors that the kind of career convergence happens where there is some reflection. And I saw recently you reuniting with your uh, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants cast members, for instance. So have, have you found that at all, a, a kind of taking stock moment as you are about to embark on this directing journey, you were in this place as you got this movie? Like, has it has it poised any kind of, of reflection on your end? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's, it's um, really a crazy thing to be part of a movie th that is so huge and so successful and has broken so many boundaries and um, broken so many records. Um, you know, it's unequivocally successful. Like this is the definition of a successful movie. <laughs> and, it's a hit. <laughs> and it's a hit, right? And, and you know, as people, we have all kinds of projections of, of what success 
is and, and what it's going to make you feel, you know? And I think once you're in something that is unequivocally like, oh, this is the thing, this is the thing that that I've been chasing. This is the thing that we're all chasing. This was the thing that, you know, 16-year-old America imagined one day I'll star in a movie and it'll be like the Titanic and it will break <laughs> records and I'll get nominated for awards. And, you know, like, yeah. so that that kind of expectation and projection that at least I know for me existed from the outset, um, it really has to be met with the reality, right? And mm -hmm. um, and it's just always so different in real life and not bad necessarily, just different where you go, oh, I'm an actress with a 22-year career. You know, that, that was an, enough to like make 10-year-old America drop dead with excitement, you know, that I have this career. Um, uh, but to, but to, but to get to be a part of something like this and really have to think about what is success to me as an individual? What does this have to do with, um, with me, how I feel about myself, how I feel about my work, what, where I want to put my energies, you know, moving forward, what opportunities may or may not come from this. And, and I think that, you know, it's definitely a moment to, um, to stop and, and take stock. And it feels a little bit like, like a mirage where like, you know, for me as a kid, success was this point out there far away that you could like envision and see and move towards. And uh -huh. then once you get there, it's like, wait, where did it, where did it all, where did it all go? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. where's the thing that's supposed to make me feel this way? And that thing that's supposed to take away those feelings. And, and then, and then you create another fixed point and you move towards that. And then, and then it's like this rediscovery constantly of like, of like what you think something's going to be versus what it actually is. And I have found that what it is, is a lot more complex and, and often interesting and, and can have a lot of good and joy in it. Um, if you find it and you look for it, um, and it can also be disappointing to, in some way, to get what you want, you know? Sometimes yeah. getting what you want feels like, huh, okay, well, that happened. <laughs> now what, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, so anyway, I appreciate the question. I think it's, if I'm being honest, as you can tell how inarticulately I'm saying this, um, it's just a little bit always more complicated than you think it's going to be. That does it for today's interview episode. We'll be back with our roundtable conversation about what's ahead in awards season on Thursday. Find us in the meantime at Vanity Fair on social media at VF Awards Insider. I'm out there at Katie Rich and David. David Canfield, 97. Our editor and producer, as always, is Brett Fuchs. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowicz, um, who should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah, that. we support that. <laughs> Very nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? 
we can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K, Anna Winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.